0: This is John Rubino from DollarCollapse.com, and you're listening to Run to Gold. Welcome back to episode 87 of the RunToGold.com podcast. I have a special guest with us here, Bill Rounds. He co-authors HowToBanish.com with me and is a licensed California attorney. And we have decided to analyze the Liberty Dollar case involving Bernard von Notthaus. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Trace. So, Bill, can you give us a quick overview of the main issues in the Liberty Dollar case?
1: Uh, The Liberty Dollar case was mostly about the confusing similarity between Liberty Dollars and U.S. currency, that is, official government currency, um, and uh, the potential confusion that people in the public would have when they would receive those uh, medallions as change or as payment in the public.
0: Now, uh, a couple days ago I gave a speech to a libertarian supper club And they are usually extremely philosophically minded. Now, Bernard von Nothaus, you could say he he had this uh, right to to coin money, but nevertheless, we've got these statutes in place. So what types of lessons can we learn from Bernard von Nothaus and uh, how we approach tyranny or whether this is
1: even an example of tyranny? Well, I think there's two lessons that we can really learn from this case. And one of them is that if you're going to be making a philosophical or ideological argument, you've got to be willing to accept the fact that that argument might not be very persuasive to the audience that you need to persuade. Um, So, for example, in this case, he was making an argument to both the prosecutors and to the jury. The prosecutors, you have to argue um, in order to have them make the decision whether to prosecute or not. The jury has to make the decision about whether you are guilty or not about, of, of certain things. Now, uh, for a lot of libertarians, and we'll focus on Austrian economists, because that's kind of a lot of what this was about, um, have not really been very successful with their philosophical and ideological arguments um, with prosecutors, with courts, and with juries. If you just take a jury of our peers in the United States, chances are that there won't be anybody on that jury who's ever heard of Austrian economics, let alone um, abides by, by its principles or believes uh, that that is the correct um, economic uh, philosophy. So when, he's, when Bernard von Notthaus and Liberty Dollar is acting, in this case they failed to take those kinds of actions where they were considering the the audience that they were arguing to they were making those philosophical arguments by running liberty dollar um, by um, making it the way they were and sharing it and spreading it the way they were and not considering that one that prosecutors are probably not very happy with some of the arguments they're making and that jurors uh... are not going to really believe the arguments that they're making.
0: Okay, now when we look at the the federal law, uh, well one issue is what is a dollar and I wrote an article about that and I referenced Dr. Vieira Dr. Vieira is the leading monetary scholar in American jurisprudence in this field. He has four degrees from Harvard, he has uh, a law degree, he's licensed to practice before the United States Supreme Court and so he addresses the issue of what is a dollar. Uh, But the Liberty Dollar case it really isn't about that, is it?
1: No, it it really isn't about what is a dollar because when you look at the case, what they were, uh, what the prosecutors were prosecuting, what they were going after, were the physical medallions that they were creating, and what they were going after was the confusion between these medallions that they were creating and U.S. government issued currency. Um, Liberty Dollar also had silver certificates that circulated that were. Um, backed up by silver in the vault uh, on a 100% um, basis. And that wasn't part of this case at all. Liberty Dollar also had the ability to make electronic transactions and trade um, silver to another individual electronically. That wasn't a part of this case. Um, And so what it was really about was how confusing these coins were. And if you look at a Liberty Dollar coin, it'll have a lot of elements on there that are familiar to U.S. currency, things like um, it has the dollar sign on there. And not the generic S with one line through it, which is commonly used by a lot of countries as their uh, insignia for money or dollar, Um, but the S with two lines through it, which is um, uniquely U.S. dollar. Um, They also have a lot of the same denominations. They have a $5 coin, they have a $10 coin, a $20 coin, The the design of them is very similar to a lot of U.S.-issued government currency. Um, And so, you know, even though the size may be a little different or the color may be different, you've got to be thinking about the common person on the street that has no idea about money and and exchange. If somebody receives one of these coins and it says $10 on it, it says Liberty across the top, it has a picture of the Statue of Liberty on on the front, they have, there's a high likelihood that a the, you know, common Joe off the street is going to be confused with, by that. And that is what prosecutors saw. That's what the jury saw.
0: Yeah, so, so the issue has more to do with uh, whether when a transaction is engaged in between uh, somebody using a Liberty Dollar uh, as the medium of exchange, whether the other person in the transaction is receiving the value that they think that they're
1: receiving. Right, exactly. Are they receiving what they think they're receiving? There's, there's another little wrinkle which, ta- which does hit on the value issue um, because the, the actual value of the metal in the Liberty Dollar coins was less than the Federal Reserve note value that was minted on, on, on the face of it. So the $10 Liberty Dollar coin... Actually had somewhere around like five or six dollars in silver in the coin,
0: and now that that is going to be uh, going to go to the element of damages when you're looking at fraud, right? Because if if the if the Liberty dollar had more value in it than was represented, then even if the person were confused, they wouldn't have suffered any damages. Yeah, it, right. goes to
1: ta- it goes to damages, but I think it also goes a little bit to intent because when the value um, in this $10 Liberty Dollar coin rose above $10, they actually recalled those coins and then reissued them at the 20, with a $20 mark minted on the coin, even though it had the same amount um, of silver in it, which was, once they reminted it, less than the $20, so I think um, in Federal Reserve notes. So I think that it goes not only to damages, but also the intent of the Liberty Dollar organization um, to trade something that wasn't exactly what the average Joe would think they were receiving.
0: Right, because if, if instead of, uh, uh, say, the average Joe receives one of these Liberty Dollars and he uh, reasonably thinks that it's worth $5 uh, that it says on it, but the silver value is actually $10... Then he hasn't been harmed, and the person who gave it to him—you—you you can't say that they committed fraud either, because the person isn't harmed. Right. Uh, so it hasn't met that element. But uh, when we, when when you give it to somebody and it's worth less than they think it's worth, then they now have damages, and that is one of the essential elements uh, for fraud. And so. Uh, that's, I think, going to—is a very key issue here. It's not like an American silver eagle uh, that's a $1 gold coin but has $40 or $38 worth of silver in it. Uh, in this case, it didn't have the value that it that it purported to have uh, stamped on it. And so that's going to weigh negatively when somebody passes these coins along and right. could perhaps confuse somebody.
1: Right now well there, there was another lesson to learn and let me just uh, get it out quickly and if we need to talk about it we can talk about it but the the other lesson to learn we've only talked about the first one so far is the legal strategy um and, and tactics that you take in approaching a legal problem um when when you have it doesn't matter if you have all the legal rights on your side sometimes it's better to avoid a trial because you know that a, a trial is just going to be expensive, or maybe it's going to make things public that you don't want to be public. Uh, th- there's a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah. What, what's the old saying, don't wrestle with a pig in the mud because the pig yeah. likes it? Yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> you'll get
1: dirty. And, you'll get dirty. <laughs> um, and so uh, in, in this case, they actually received a warning from the Department of Justice and the U.S. Mint combined uh, not, or that, that they thought that liberty dollars were in violation of the law. This was long before, uh, this was in 2006.
0: Yeah, this was like five years ago. This was they, a long time they, ago. They get this shot across the bow from the Mint saying, hey, don't keep coining these things,
1: right, right? Right, and the Department of Justice is the organization that has the power and legal authority to hurt you. I mean, they're the ones that can bring in a game against you.
0: Yeah, and they strut around in their costumes thinking they're doing the world a service by uh, going after people with these confusingly similar medallions uh, but what difference does it make they've got the power
1: right no matter how legitimate or illegitimate you think that power is it's real they actually exercise it and they actually can prosecute you and put you in jail if they do a good job of it and so they they didn't take that warning very seriously they flaunted it they they, they didn't change their behavior at all so uh, their their negotiation power, their their legal tactics and strategies were just um, not very well crafted. They just did a really poor job of understanding who their opponents were. In, in this case, uh, treating their opponents with the actual power that they have, rather than the philosophical power that they should have, or or shouldn't have. You know, depending on the person's point of view. Um, and so, those were the two lessons that I think you can take away uh, from this case. Yeah, and, I mean, that's they've got the power. Uh, what, what can you
0: really necessarily do about it in a productive or in a constructive way? Uh, I don't necessarily think this was a very constructive way to approach uh, the monetary chaos that we have in our American jurisprudence.
1: Right, there's, there's a lot of uh, better ways to go about it. Um, for example, I think that coining the Liberty Dollar medallions themselves was an unnecessary step um, because we already have you know, Krugerrands and we, we have all kinds of silver and gold coins or medallions that aren't necessarily US legal tender that circulate in the economy and you can uh, you know, trade a one ounce um, silver medallion for goods and services just like you can trade chickens for goods and services or a sack of potatoes for goods and services I know in my legal practice I've accepted uh, silver medallions that aren't U.S. currency coins. I've accepted uh, you know, other uh, trades of, of uh, services from other people's businesses. Um, so it, it, the, the Liberty Dollar medallions was a step that was unnecessary. And I think that's another thing that kind of perked up the ears of the prosecutors was because they were actually making quite a bit of money off of uh, creating these medallions and putting them out into circulation where you know, banking and bullion should be a very boring business. I mean, there's no reason to be, you know, if, if you're going to be making that kind of money off of it, you're going to have to explain yourself very well because it doesn't happen that often.
0: Unless you're uh, the Bernack. Unless you're the
1: Bernack. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, uh, but get, getting back to another point here, uh, this was not a case uh, like the IRS versus Kayer. Uh, which was the, uh, the $110 million case out of Las Vegas where Mr. Cair was using American legal tender uh, uh, gold and silver eagles, which had a legal tender in law of $1, uh, but uh, a market value in Federal Reserve note dollars of a different value, and the IRS disputed Uh, over that issue. That's a completely separate issue that's not even touched upon in this case.
1: Not even close. And that is a case that gets a lot more closer to something that may be tyrannical, but really it's just more arbitrary and capricious uh, enactment or enforcement of the law because it creates this kind of really jumbled definition of what a dollar is and, and what you know, the value of our money. So when
0: well, there, and there really is no intelligible definition under federal law for what a dollar is.
1: No, it's, it's a completely ridiculous. It,
0: I mean, it's, it's completely, uh, uh, I mean, it's unintelligible. You've got $50, uh, which is equal to one ounce of gold while you've also got $1, which is equal to one ounce of silver. Then you've got pennies and nickels and quarters that all have differing degrees of metal content of different types of metals that are also in aggregate equal to dollars and then you've got federal reserve notes which aren't uh... redeemable for anything that are also equal to dollars so i mean it it truly is under federal code uh... unintelligible if i were to ask you what is a dollar you would have to give uh, multiple definitions it's not like it used to be where it was uh... three hundred seventy one point two five grains of fine silver and it's not like other uh, units of measurement, such as foot or yard or day or year or uh, square feet or cubic feet. It's, it's not like any of those standard weights and measures. I mean, it's just completely arbitrary under federal law right. Uh, right now. And so, But that's not what this case is about. This case is about him creating these medallions that are... Uh, confusingly similar to certain forms of legal tender U.S. currency.
1: Right. This case is about fraud. It, it, it smelled like fraud to the Department of Justice, and it smelled like fraud to the jury, so they decided that it was fraud. And it's kind of hard to argue with it. Uh, I, I, looking at the facts of the case, I think that the jury probably made a pretty good decision. Uh, because if you look at a Liberty Dollar medallion, it looks a lot like U.S. government-issued currency coins, and you can't look at you know whether an Austrian economist or you know somebody who has a lot of education on monetary policy would be confused. You have to look at would the less than you know below-average intelligent man on the street feel or think that this might be U.S. government currency. And there were actually some instances where people uh, turned them into banks because they thought that they were official currency that you could um, store in the bank, which you can't do with liberty dollars.
0: Right. Now, say somebody is on the jury and, and they do agree uh, with, with uh, the analysis, but nevertheless, they don't agree with the law. What what recourse can they do? Do they have to vote to find them guilty, or uh, can they engage engage in jury nullification, for example, or other fun uh, topics like that?
1: The judge will instruct them on the law and say that they have to follow the law as the judge tells them, but unless their decision is illogical, their decision stands.
0: And can it really be, how, how can it be reviewed
1: as illogical after it's been delivered? Well, for example, if, um, if the case was about fraud, but one of the elements of fraud didn't exist, let's say the intent to defraud somebody didn't exist, um, the, for a jury's uh, verdict to be questioned and overturned, they would have to come back and say, there was absolutely no intent to defraud, but we find him guilty of fraud. It would have to be something like that okay and so uh, that's not necessarily going to be the case here either no and that's what's difficult with the fraud case because um, intent is impossible to know for sure in any case and so they can only go by the other facts that exist to guess at what the person was thinking because intent is in the mind of the person and so you know, in this case, there was enough surrounding facts that made the jury think, yeah, he has an intent to defraud, whether he did or not.
0: Mainly going to the seniorage issue, uh, right. the difference between the, the actual value of the silver and the coin and uh, what it represented itself as uh, with the dollar sign uh, right. actually imprinted right. on it. Right, and
1: there was some... Um, the way that the Liberty Dollar Organization promoted using the uh, the medallions was they promoted using it to make change with other individuals, with customers who were completely unsuspecting. And they promoted that the uh, business owners making change with those Liberty Medallions would make money making change. Um, and so they were encouraging people to ask people or to get people to take the medallions as change that were had a value in silver less than the change they thought they were receiving in Federal Reserve notes. So, you know, that's another one of those facts that just does not bode well for the liberty dollar organization in this in this case
0: well great now is there anything in federal law that prevents us from accepting from accepting uh, certain goods or or anything of that matter as a medium of exchange no. uh, besides it being illegal for example we can't use cocaine as a, <laughs> not because it's a controlled substance uh but uh using american Uh, gold or silver eagles, using a gold or silver bar, uh, using apples or oranges, all of those things uh, we can use uh, as mediums of
1: exchanges in our ordinary transactions. Right. There's absolutely nothing that prevents you from doing that if both parties agree. Now, if someone comes to you um, to pay off a debt and they have a handful of Federal Reserve notes, you have to accept the Federal Reserve notes. But if they come to you with a couple of sacks of oranges and you say, okay, I'll accept those sacks of oranges instead of Federal Reserve notes, there's nothing that the government can do that is completely legal, And it doesn't matter whether whether it's sacks of oranges, whether it's gold coins, silver coins, chickens, sacks of potatoes, uh, anything that you want to accept as your medium of exchange can be accepted.
0: So that gets us back to another point then. A lot of people are confused about what exactly legal tender is. And as we've just outlined, legal tender is what uh, you have to accept in payment of debt. Correct. But as far as something being the prescribed
1: use in a medium of exchange, that's not what legal tender is. Right. And I think a lot of people are confused with this case because they think that it's making uh silver medallions or gold medallions illegal to use as a medium of exchange. That is the farthest thing from the truth with this case.
0: Right. Well thank you very much for this uh, enlightening discussion about the Liberty Dollar, about uh the things that Mr. von Notthaus could have done differently. He he didn't need to uh go be a martyr, you could say, in this issue, or uh, even worse an an ineffectual one because because <laughs> it doesn't
1: uh, even address the issue
0: because it doesn't address the issue it's not like a Mr. Kayer or uh some other types of uh politically persecuted individuals in our law, like uh, uh Martin Luther King, for example, some of his uh tactics such as the sit-ins or things of that nature uh, there there were other perhaps more productive ways to address this issue than what Mr. von Notthaus did. And so thank you for enlightening us about that. Is there anything else you'd like to add in conclusion about this? No, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about it, but um Well, wonderful. You've been listening to episode 87 of the runtogold.com podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: I uh, want to say one thing. These guys are pretty serious players in our industry. Uh, we provide links from this website to their websites. Take a look at what Trace Meyer has to say uh, at his website, RunToGold.com.